No more overtime. We've got to get serious. Maddie, we're going to have to pop the glass on the front window to get the piano the in. The piano? So, yeah, now we're not going to have this problem with the pool table because I can just lower it to the roof with a chopper and then we'll winch it down to this floor, bring it in through one of the office windows. Toodles. Welcome to the show, Moonlighting fans. Whether you're a Moonlighting fan from way back when, or whether you are new to Moonlighting and you want to learn more about it because you want to know what all the hype is about, you have come to the right place. Hi, I'm Grace. And I'm Shauna. And we're your hosts for the podcast that is all about Moonlighting. When we talk about Moonlighting, we're talking about the Emmy award-winning 80s TV series starring Bruce Willis and Sipple Shepard. So if you're a fan of theirs, you're going to want to stay tuned as we review all 66 episodes. I hope you enjoy this journey with us because we are going to be watching the series episodes one by one and discussing them every two weeks. This is going to take several years, as you can imagine. So please join us because we are going to have so much fun along the way. That's right. And we really want to include our Moonlighting fans in this project as much as possible. So write to us and let us know what your thoughts are. And even if you have some trivia to disclose, our email address is fans at moonlightingthepodcast.com. And we will include you in our future episodes. So stay with us. Shauna and I are beyond excited to finally bring Moonlighting into the 21st century for some serious discussions. You up for it, Shauna? I sure am. Well, let's let's get get started. And welcome to the podcast all about moonlighting. Hi, Grace. How are you doing? I'm good, Shauna. How are you? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. I can't believe we're already to the last episode of the first season. I know. We're up to season one, episode seven, The Murders in the Mail. This episode was directed by Peter Werner. It was written by Marianne Kasika and Michael Sheff. And it first aired on the 2nd of April, 1985. The episode synopsis, David and Maddie do some moonlighting of their own for a debt collection agency when Blue Moon is short of money. They discover that one of the debtors has been killed, but when they return with the police, the body has disappeared and a completely different man is at the scene claiming to be the client. This leads the duo to become involved in an assassination plot and in order to save the suspected victim, whom they know is a Chinese man with a mole on his nose, They must get into a formal dinner event where their successful effort to prevent the murder culminates in a huge food fight amongst all the event's attendees. The guest stars on this episode are John Cedar, who is Roy Hirsch slash Windjammer. Arthur Taxia is the CIA man. Michael Halsey is Nesta Vinchenko, also known as the Blonde Man. James Walsh is the priest. Nick Angotti is the policeman. And... Patricia Allison is the woman outside the building that lets them in. And she's actually known for being Johnny's mother in the TV series Dirty Dancing. Oh, that's her. But she's well known for being Maureen in The War of the Roses. Okay. All right, Grace, should we talk about the episode? Murders in the Mail. Sure, let's begin. First of all, how do you think this, I don't know if this is a better question for the beginning or the end of the episode, but <laughs> how do you think the title fits? Murders in the Mail? Yeah, I don't get the title because the murder is not in the mail. I didn't check to see if it's a reference to a movie. I didn't actually check that. 
I totally agree with you. It does not fit the episode, except for the fact the envelope had some information about who was going to be killed. Is that what it's referencing? That's all I could come up with yeah, with the title. Because it was in an envelope, yeah. Yeah, maybe they just kind of ran out of titles and needed something with murder since they all seem to have like next stop murder, next murder you hear, murders in the mail. All right, let's just go with it. So the first thing that I noticed that was different about this episode from the yeah. previous episodes was the intro music. Yeah, I did write. The music is so suspenseful. I mean the, the intro, the actual moonlighting theme. Oh, was it different? Yeah. How? So the first episodes, it starts with, right? Sorry, I have to sing. Yeah. But this one is the first one that that just goes, and it starts straight away. Oh, okay. All right. And the only reason that I worked that out is, Because I was watching the episode and I was pausing and I was fast forwarding and I accidentally went back to the first episode, Gunfight. So I had okay. to fast forward each episode and the music yeah. changed. So that's right. how I worked out. Once I got to this episode, the intro music was, they changed it. Now, why they changed it for the end of season one and not first episode of season two, I don't know, but it's a different intro. But anyway, still lovely, still a great theme. Yeah, I wonder if it was a time thing, you know, shaving off a few seconds, don't know, or thought it sounded better and they were, you know, it's first season, so they're tweaking a lot of things. But yeah, that's good catch again, Grace. We're here for the details. (laughs) But uh, I also made a note of just the music, you know, at the very beginning when we opened with the case, it's like very suspenseful. It's very, wow, really setting some kind of like mysterious tone. Yeah. Um, And it starts with a blue sky. The episode title comes up with the blue sky in the background. And then you see the plane land. Yeah. Now, I don't know who the sound editor was on this episode, but (laughs) that plane is so loud. Oh, yeah. I have to turn the volume down when that happens and then turn it back up once the plane lands. Really? Is it like that on your TV or is it just me? I didn't notice that. I didn't notice the sound change, but now that you mention it, I do recall the sound of plane landing. So, yes. Here we go. Sound editor, Val Kuklowski. Val, the audio, you need to, uh, you needed to uh, regulate the audio. Show notes 30 plus years later. Yes. All right. So the guy gets off the airplane and uh, sorry, what's his name? His name is um... Roy Hirsch. Roy Hirsch, thank you. He's the real Roy Hirsch. <laughs> yeah, I guess at the end of the day, um, when all is said and done with all the Roy Hirsches, he is the real Roy Hirsch. Um, so he gets off the airplane and there is some hubbub going on and another plane has crashed, the plane that he was supposed to be on. And someone gives him that news. You know, he kind of asks like, what's going on? He says he was supposed to be on that plane. So quite an intriguing beginning. And this is where we see that young lady I was talking about in last week's episode. Okay. Yeah. I was going to ask you because I went back to um, Next Stop Murder. I looked at the woman and then I was watching the beginning of this. And I think you said she had a hat on. Yeah. Okay. So I think I caught a glimpse of her, but yeah, it's only because you mentioned it that I noticed it. Yeah. So I found a bit of a goof because when Roy Hirsch was talking to that gentleman about, did you know somebody on the plane? 
she actually walks past them behind them in the next shot when they're the shot is facing the reporters, she's walking towards the camera again. Oh, how funny. You didn't see her? It's funny because because you mentioned it, I was looking for her, but I still still didn't get, you know, the details that you did on that one. I didn't see her twice. And to me, it seemed like there were a lot of people. So yeah, she wasn't standing out to me. Um, I wonder who she was. Was she someone's niece or something? Yeah, yeah, possibly. Yeah, and then he realises that he was supposed to be on that plane. So he's all of a sudden, you can see the look in his face, he's realised that they're onto him and they're trying to stop him from, you know, you don't know this at this stage, but stop him from giving that communique to whoever he wants to give it to. But what I don't like is he walks away from the journalists towards the camera and he's smiling as if, ha, 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 you know, they didn't get me. Mm-hmm. But they killed a lot of people. Yeah, a lot of people are dead because of him, I guess, yeah. because that's why they crashed that plane to kill him. But he's alive, so I guess he can find some joy in that. But yeah, exactly. There's not a lot of joy because a plane has crashed. And then he goes to the this ATM machine. Now, I don't know about you, Grace, but to me, does this look like the fakest ATM machine? It's just like this looks like this big, huge prop that they plopped in front of the airport. Yeah. First of all, I was wondering, it does look like a real airport to me. Yes. I think it is a real airport, but I think they put this big, huge boxy prop in the middle of it. It has like these big, huge buttons, like cash, checking, I don't know. You know. When I was watching it, I'm looking, I'm thinking, is that how ATMs looked back then? Yeah. Or is that just something that's made up? And since when does the phone ring to tell you that your card's been cancelled? So yeah. that was either really high tech, you know, moonlighting trying to get into the 21st century or the writers have just thought, stuff it, you know, I'm, we're just going to make this whiz-bang ATM and it's going to ring him and tell him that he's dead and, um, sorry, you can't have your card back. Well, I mean, there's so many issues with that and so many problems, plot holes, whatever. Come on. The plane literally just crashed. They haven't even confirmed, you know, who's on there, what happened, who's dead and stuff like that. I mean, back in the 80s, you know, we used to write checks that would take three days to clear. How would they ever already know at the bank that he was on a plane that crashed? He's dead. Nothing's been confirmed, frozen, cancelled already. Yeah, but the thing is that the people that are on to him have cancelled the card. So the Russians, because he's a Russian spy, they've thought, beauty, we've brought down the plane, he's dead, we'll cancel everything. But what they've done is they've cancelled the card in advance knowing that they were going to kill him. So they may have cancelled the card several days ago. And that's why Roy Hirsch, they're talking to him on the phone and he turns back and says, no, I'm not dead. He's worked out that they're onto him. Oh, oh, I'm in trouble. But okay, so you're saying that the agency cancelled everything? Yeah, that's right. The Russian spy agency that he works for. Okay, I'm thinking that he's just talking to the bank, but he's talking to the agency. No, yeah. no, no. He's talking to the bank. Okay. Okay. The banks cancelled the card because somebody from the agency has contacted them and said he's passed away. Can you cancel the card, please? Although it's not really clear um, which agency has stopped the card. It is possible that the Americans are against him as well. So the plot doesn't clearly 
tell us exactly who's trying to kill him. Yeah. I still think it's like such a fast turnaround, like, oh, cards are canceled. Everything, everything's gone. You're dead. And the plane just crashed five minutes ago, you know. Also, he wasn't with moonlighting. Maybe he was. They thought he was a Russian spy, but then he was actually a double agent, right? So he was actually an American acting as a Russian spy. That's right. And that's what the CIA guy explains later. Oh, moonlighting with your convoluted plots. Yeah. We used to watch it thinking, oh, yeah, it was just a lot of fun between David and Muddy. But if you actually sit down and concentrate on all the details, a lot of the plots were pretty complicated. I know, especially in these early, early seasons. The other thing I noticed, too, was that he says to them to prove who he is on the phone, he said, yeah. yeah, of course I'm Roy Hirsch. I was born in Allentown, Pennsylvania, 1946. The writers have actually made him 15 years younger than he actually is. Oh, okay. So this particular actor, John Cedar, he was born in um, January 1931, which at the time would have made him 54. But in the show, he's made himself 39. Ah, how funny. That must have felt good, 50-year-old man playing a 39-year-old. And you know how you were talking about his luggage? No, you were talking about the luggage that Moonlight yeah. used on the series. Yeah, this one's a different one. He's got brown leather luggage. Yes, we were going to check that. So I noticed that as well. He had brown leather, not the plaid, which does make an appearance later in later episodes, but we'll talk about that when we get there. But anyway, yeah, I just found it all a bit unbelievable. But, you know, we got to move the plot along, right? Well, they've only got so many minutes, yeah, as Maddie says. <laughs> Uh, exactly. Be more than 60 minutes long. Okay, so now we're in Maddie's office. And um, of course, I love a Maddie Agnes scene. But my question here was why does Agnes have to go through the mail with Maddie? Can't Maddie just go through? Like, Bill, Bill, check. You know, it seems like normally she would just hand her the, the stack of um, mail. But, you know, that is her assistant. So I guess it makes sense. I guess Agnes. Hasn't got much else to do, really. <laughs> the phone's not ringing, so. Yeah, I guess it makes sense that she would stand there and, like, go through what they're getting, you know, as far as, like, what they owe and, and what, they're, what they're bringing in and things like that, so. But Agnes's outfit, it's like Elise Beasley was so slim that I don't know how she's keeping that belt up. <laughs> yeah, she wears her belts on her hip. Yeah. Yeah. She is very slender there. Even with layers of clothing on. Yeah, she would have a few layers of clothing on. She's never got one layer. Agnes's character was full of layers, 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 layers. Yes, exactly. A very kind of 80s outfit, but cute. I mean, it's a very, like, cute Agnes outfit, but it's just that belt. It didn't even look like it was cinched that tight. It just looked like it was, like, kind of, you know, strapped around her, and I just kept waiting for it to, like, slide down. I reckon it was pinned so it didn't fall down. Yeah, yeah, probably. It looks so loose. Yeah, I was really taking in her outfit. All the different accessories. She had like a pin that looks like a little house or a little birdhouse. Interesting clothes, but she's such a kind of eclectic person. Her clothes reflect that. Yeah, it's like whatever tickles her fancy to wear, that's what she's going to wear. Whether it matches or not is a different story. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I mean, it just kind of starts out on the same note and theme as the past few episodes. There's not a lot of income coming in. Maddie is worried about finances. They need a case. They need to cut corners. They need, you know, like you said, 
rent less expensive furniture or something like any way that they can keep a roof over their heads until they get a case. I find her movement when she comes around the table and faces Agnes again, you know, she puts her fist in her hand. We've got to get serious, but it doesn't match what she's saying. She says it and then punches her hand or vice versa. I can't remember which way. You notice that it doesn't match what she's saying? Oh, you mean like um, what she's saying isn't what the audio is? No, no, no. I mean, like she goes, we've got to get serious. Now, on the word serious, you would think that she would hit her hand. We've got to get serious. But she doesn't. She does it either before or after, which seems weird to me. I know you mean, yeah, it's kind of like the actions and words are going together in a way. Maybe it's not how Maddie would normally act or something. Yeah, I found it something that she would not normally do. Yeah, I know what you mean. It stood out to me in a way as well. And, of course, David bursts in, which is absolutely hilarious, how he's all excited. He's bought a piano and a pool table. And I really like how she turns around to him, and when she says piano, you can tell she's actually she's amused. Yeah. She's actually laughing yeah. at Bruce. Yep, I, I did the same thing. Looks like she's smiling. So, yeah, like words and actions aren't really matching up here. She should be angry. She should, her character should be more serious and angry. Like she does get upset, but she looks amused and it's not really matching with what's going on in the scene as well. She's wearing a nice outfit, nice silk top. A skirt with a high slit again. Yes, of course. You have to have that. Yes. Always accentuate the legs on Sybil Shepherd. So, of course, she follows him out and he's telling the guys to get the piano through the door. Don't worry. Don't worry. You'll get it through. Yeah, it's so funny. Women giving birth. Yeah, we've been putting ships in bottles for years. He puts his arm around her and takes her into his office and that's where we find the book that he's been reading and the reason why he's so positive and chirpy and why he's bought a piano and a pool table. Yes, Being Second Stinks. Being Second Stinks and it's written by J.D. Karen. I wonder who that could be. Yeah, I wonder where they got those names. Jay Daniel and Glenn Gordon Karen. Oh, yeah. I didn't think of that. Oh, you didn't? I thought that's what you were saying. No. I actually, because we're looking closer now, I was like, is that Karen? I saw, I was trying to look at the author's name because I thought you'd be looking at the other's name, which you did. When I saw Karen, and of course, you know, the video is not that clear these days. Yeah, I didn't think of Jay Daniel. But you thought of Glenn Gordon Karen. Yeah, I just thought Karen and they've just put initials at the start. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm guessing. So David's all excited because the book says that, you know, if you have a better working environment, it leads to better productivity. He figures, hey, you can't argue with Fortune 500, right? Can't argue with them. But Maddie's like, take it back. You know, they've got this piano stuck in the door and Maddie's telling him to take it out. Maddie, you know, David's telling him to leave it there and. There's all this overlapping dialogue, of course. Yeah, and of course she says, take that and take the wench back. And he said, the wench, you're the wench. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I know. And then he says something else in there, okay? So there's a play on words with, with wench, which, which is very funny, and it all moves very fast, of course, as Moonlighting does. And then, wench, you're the wench. And she says, watch it. And he says, white. Did you notice that? No. Now, I think he says white because... They're always thinking oppositely. So it's kind of like you say black, I say white. Oh, okay. That went right past me. When you watch it again, 
listen for him. Like he looks right out and he says white and there's a little bit of a beat. And then he says, Maddie, you're making a mountain out of a molehill. You know, and then she takes over the dialogue molehill. It's my molehill. Lots of play on words, fast dialogue, lots of, you know, double meanings. It's the start of what are you doing? What, you know, why I've been, I've been clean for years. Oh, that's right. Yeah. What are you, what are you doing? Nothing. I've been clean for years. Now, did you notice um, when they're having the mountain out of a molehill conversation, they're walking into Maddie's office Yep. and Agnes kind of starts to follow them. And one of the other workers kind of cuts her off in a way that's kind of like, ah, let him be. Yes, I did notice that. I did notice that she stopped, but I didn't notice why she stopped. I didn't see the other. I was looking at her. So somebody has stopped her from following them. Yeah. Um, one of the other workers kind of like cuts her off in, in kind of a gentle way, kind of like let him be. So I was watching the reaction of the workers behind them and everybody just has their nose in their work. Everybody's just going a bit about their day. So the workers are already used to Maddie and David fighting in the office, bantering, going back and forth. Nobody's really even looking at them or reacting to them having this kind of heated conversation. They're sort of like, oh, there they go again. I'm just going to keep working. So then Maddie, of course, is you know worried. How can we afford all this? And he says he's got it covered because he's got a signed contract from Ek Ek <laughs> or Eek Eek or Yik Yak or whatever you want to call it. Um, the Easy Credit Assurance Company. Now, I was thinking Maddie wasn't upset, but wouldn't she have been upset that he went and got a signed contract without her approval? This is where a few things have happened in past episodes about my confusion as to what authority he actually has. Because he's done things in the past and I'm thinking, hang on, we don't know how much authority she's given him. That is something that they're always debating between them. Are they partners or associates? Are they 50-50 or not? Because she is always trying to pull rank. Like like she just said, my molehill, I pay the bills. You know, it all comes down to me. Mm. She's ultimately in charge. But she didn't seem upset that he'd gotten this contract and that they were now going to be bill collectors. So we'll just assume that he has some sort of authority to do stuff because otherwise he wouldn't have been able to do it under the name of the agency. Yeah. I mean, David's David. He's going to talk her into it either way, anyway. And I like how Maddie says, And just what is it we're supposed to do, freak me? (laughs) Now, this is a theme in Moonlighting where they get someone's name wrong again and again. So this is kind of the start of that trend where Mm -hmm. geek, ek, ek, yik, yak, you know, she's kind of purposely, I guess, to tease them or make light of the company or whatever, or just it's just humor, mm. I guess. Mm. She doesn't like the sound of this job that they'll be sort of subcontracting to ECAC and doesn't want to hound unfortunate people. And he's saying, well, they're not unfortunate people. They're people that have disregard for their indebtedness and, you know, don't want to pay their bills and so forth. I really like how she says, and you know these people? And he goes, I have had occasion to work with them in the past. So to me, he's been in debt a lot, and I think it's his way of possibly getting them back because, you know, they chased him for money that he owed them, and now he's like beauty. I can get money off them by subcontracting for them. That was my view of it. Yeah, I definitely picked up that he had dealt with them being on the other side of it, you know, that they had come collecting bills from him. 
I didn't quite take it that he was trying to get them back. I think he thought, oh, when you know people came and collected money from me, the person who collected it got half. So maybe that's something we could do. I think it was just like an idea of his as a way to make money quickly. If we can collect these bills, we get half. There's money that, that could come in pretty fast. He's really got that entrepreneurial spirit, you know, after reading the book and he's thinking positive and using it as an opportunity. This is what we can do. Get some money into the agency. And you know what? She should be really happy about that. Having a staff member that is really, you know, enthusiastic and positive and motivated to get some income stream into the business. Yeah. This is David's strength and he does it in, you know, so many episodes, but he always has to kind of convince her she's skeptical. Now here, I really like her heart is in the right place. She doesn't want to go to people who are down and out. Oh, you know what? Actually, it's like they're both um, because she's been on that side of it, the side where she's lost her money and like circumstances beyond her control, put her in a bad financial situation. David's been on that side of it as well. So they're both kind of looking at it from their point of view. You know, they've both been in a situation where they've been like um, had financial reverses. She has a heart about it. I don't want to go knocking on people's doors who are down on their luck. And he's, you know, he's trying to convince her they're not down on their luck. They're deadbeats, basically, is what he's saying. And but yes, I agree. He is very positive. He is a go getter. He's someone who thinks outside the box. He's only has Blue Moon's best interest. You know, like they say, for us, for the good of the company. When he's telling her that no, we're credit marshals and all that sort of stuff. He actually stands up on the last description and when she turns around, she's talking to him as if he's sitting down. Oh, yeah. I knew you'd be looking at the angles. I'm an angle person. What can I say? So uh, she's talking to him like he's still in the chair. Yes, but he actually got up in the previous scene. So when they went to film her from the other side, they've forgotten that he's got up. Got it. And, of course, Maddie, the next time she talks about them, she says, yik, yak. Ek, ek. He's always uh, correcting her. Yeah, it's really funny. That's right. So she's called him. So far, she's called him eek, meek, and yik, yak. Yeah. So I understand that he's bought a pool table, but I don't understand the piano. Like he goes, you know, I don't even know how to play. So <laughs> why would he buy a baby grand piano? Yeah. I know. Exactly. Yeah. Where would they even put it in there? I mean, was that going to go in Maddie's office? Maybe, maybe pool table in his baby grand in hers and then a satellite dish on top. Right. I really like how the writers introduced that. You think I'd buy a baby grand piano, a pool table, a satellite dish if I didn't know money was going to start rolling in? Yes. He's very much like trying to slide it past her. Yeah. I love it. It's so well written. So fast. So much in there. Like we say, uh, hard to catch all of it. Okay, the next scene is Roy Hirsch, and he's gotten home, and he gets into the elevator at his apartment building. And uh, my first thought when he gets into the elevator with the guy um, that lives in his apartment building, he looks like Alfred Hitchcock. Yes, that's exactly what I noticed as well. It's something that Alfred Hitchcock used to do. He used to make cameo appearances, although he never spoke. So definitely because of that gentleman's appearance, there was definitely an Alfred Hitchcock influence there. And I'll tell you why in a minute. His name was Lomax Study, and he had 74 actor credits. He goes back to 1948. He was on the George Burns and Gracie Allen show from 56 to 58. He was in Sea Hunt, which was a great TV show. He was in Twilight Zone 1962, Streets of San Francisco, Love Boat in 82, and he actually played Alfred Hitchcock 
in a TV movie called Grace Kelly. He was also in Remington Steel, and the last thing he did was in 2000. He was born in 1914, and unfortunately he passed away in 2006 in Santa Monica. A little bit of trivia about him. He began his career in acting after serving the Coast Guard in World War II. So that's a little bit about Lomax study. One thing I noticed about um, Roy Hirsch entering the building is that when he enters the building, he turns right. I'll talk about that later. Okay. Doesn't quite match up with... It it doesn't quite match up later. He doesn't check his mail. He thinks, oh, well, I don't know the reason behind that, whether Mm -hmm. he's thinking, oh, maybe they've put something in the mailbox Mm, um, and maybe he'll check it later. He gets in the elevator with Alfred Hitchcock. He had a great little role. He only had a few words to say, but that was a great scene, the way he said it. Oh, here the hammering and the nailing. You leave the country for a month. That's the way to do it. And that cements it even further that they're after him. Right. He hasn't had any work done. But what were they doing in there? Were they, I guess, setting up something to kill him? They were setting up that. What was all the work being done in his apartment? Why would they make that big of a fuss if they were trying to be quiet about killing him, getting rid of him? Why did they do that if they thought that they were going to kill him on the airplane? Why would they set up a second way to kill him at home? Again, things are happening very quickly, Shauna. <laughs> yes. it, doesn't, it doesn't make a lot of sense. It's happening too quickly. You know, the, the, how yeah. did they find out he wasn't dead and the ATM and all that sort of stuff. But first of all, they're looking for the communique, but I don't understand. They knew he wasn't back yet, so what the hell were they looking for? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, unless they were searching for any other secrets he had, I don't know. Why put the bow and arrow there until you find out what he's got? Exactly. If you thought that he was already dead in the airplane or you thought you were going to kill him in the airplane, Why did you need to do all this at his apartment, which would really draw a lot of attention? You would have thought they would have been discreet. They should be more discreet if they're trying to uncover secrets and kill an agent because he was tipped off very quickly by the Alfred Hitchcock looking man. Mm. So, of course, he gets to his door and thinks, no, I'm not opening this door, which he was very wise, very wise to do. And now we're back in the car with Maddie and David discussing how much income they're going to get from this poet that they're going to visit. Let me talk a minute about this location. So they drive up a a street called Wilton, which is a main thoroughfare from one part of LA, maybe like Hollywood area to K-Town, the big Korean area that they have in Los Angeles. I used to drive down this very street because I did a lot of tutoring in, um, in Koreatown. And I would drive past this house and this location, gosh, almost every day. So I know, yeah, I know exactly where it is. And the the funny thing is, so they park and they get out and they talk on the sidewalk, which we'll go into more depth detail in a minute. There's that woman sweeping and things like that. There's a yard in front of a house that has the grass, right? And there's a cement border around that grass and it has a huge crack in it. I don't know if you've ever noticed it. When you go to the location today, that huge crack is still there, but somebody's filled it in with cement. <laughs> They've patched it over a little bit, but it's still clearly, you could still see the big crack. It's just been kind of like patched in, you know? Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, it's just kind of interesting because the houses don't look that different. The bushes and trees are a little bit bigger, but it's just funny how the neighborhood can still, you know, remain the same and look so similar with all these little details that are easily recognizable, you know, from 30 plus years ago. So I used to drive past all the time, look over and go, oh, there's Larry's house. 
Oh my God, that is so amazing how things in LA don't really change that much. Yeah, they don't. A lot of these things are still there and you can go see them. You know, like I said, they might have a paint job, but like basically the bones are there. You know, you can still see pretty much they still look the same as what, how they did in the moonlighting day. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Yeah, anyway, Maddie and David pull up to this house, this neighborhood, Larry the Poet. Yeah, so they get out of the car. Although prior to that, she was saying, how did I let you talk me into this? You know, I really don't want to do this. And he's like, well, couldn't you use $1,700 right now? And because he's a poet, of course, David being David says, it's our job to scare the iambic pentameter out of him. Which I thought that was great. Yeah, that's a great line. I love that. He's a poet and he doesn't know it or something <laughs> like that. You know, He's rhyming himself. And it really is. I feel for Maddie being uncomfortable because it really is. It's not the job for them. It sounds uncomfortable, even for me as they're going there to go knock on this person's door and ask them for money, try to collect that bill. You know, they're trying to be detectives and all these other things. And it's just like, they're at a point with the company where they really need to get money coming in any which way. But this is not a great solution. But I feel Maddie's uncomfortableness when they're going to do this. It's the old way of doing it too. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Going door to door. (laughs) Door to door. Right. When he gets out of the car, he goes, the house at Pooh Corner. Yes. No, that was, there's some reference there. Did you look it up? Well, the house at Pooh Corner, obviously, is Winnie the Pooh. But I don't see why he called it the house at Pooh Corner. It seems like there was something more to that, the house at Pooh Corner. Um, Who knows? Maybe it's just because they're going to a house. You know, he says something like that. David doesn't need a reason, so that's all right. Yeah, he's just always talking. And then he calls him Ryman Simon. Yeah, Ryman Simon. Now, the only reference I could think of, I didn't research this, but I'm sure that was an album by Paul Simon in 1973, but it's a good reference because he's a a Ryman Simon. Yeah, House at Pooh Corner is the actual title of a book about Winnie the Pooh. That's right. Now, did you notice at all when Maddie and David are talking to each other and they have those big sunglasses on? I think you can kind of see production reflected, at least in Maddie's glasses. There's an awning or a cover over Bruce, maybe blocking the sun. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't look that hard. I did look a little bit and I saw Bruce there, but I didn't look that hard. Yeah, I think they've got kind of uh, something set up to control the lighting um, Mm. around them. Sybil's glasses are so big, you know, sometimes you can see production reflected in the glasses. Yeah. Maddie says, um, yeah, you can't bully this man. She feels really uncomfortable about going in there. People are fundamentally good. Oh, my gosh, Maddie, I know. 
Oh, yeah. And then she says, present company accepted. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a great line. Maddie has more of this people are fundamentally good attitude, especially in the first few seasons of Moonlighting. She's always the one with the heart. She's always the one that doesn't want to take the money. She's always the one that's like, you know, is very, very soft about those kind of things. I don't know if she stays like that, but another thing to keep an eye on, Grace. Yes. Does she always stay as sensitive? No. I don't think so either. No. <laughs> so then David goes up and he, he, it is very funny, but Larry, this is David, boom, boom, Addison. You know, he's trying to throw his weight around and act really tough, you know, because he's there collecting the money and things like that. And then, of course, Larry comes out the door and he's this huge guy. How many times in Moonlighting do they do this joke? And they've kind of already done it once in The Next Murder You Hear when the bouncer in the bar, he's drunk and he turns around and he like kind of bumps up against the bouncer in the bar. And the guy is so much bigger than him. But they do this joke many times throughout the series where yeah. Bruce bumps up against some huge guy. It's a common thing, definitely. That image was really funny. I think it's just totally Glenn's humor. <laughs> Trying to make David look small. Um, the other thing I notice about this scene is that when David knocks on the door, he turns around to Maddie and says, I'll handle this. But yeah. he takes his time turning back around because he's waiting for the guy to come out so he can turn and face him. Yes. The timing was all wrong. Yes, because they kind of wanted that timing of him turning around and like right into his chest, right? Yeah, because he turns around to Maddie and says, I'll handle this. But he still looks at her, waits, waits, waits until Larry comes out and then turns around and notices that he's seven feet tall or something. Yeah, I noticed uh, what you're talking about. I like how it's cut off here too. It cuts straight off and they're back in the car again. And he's like, who'd have thought that the first person we went to see had a gland problem? Yeah, I know, exactly. Because Maddie's already like, see, this is not going to work. Nope, I don't like it. And he's like, let's just try one more time. So now we're back with Roy Hirsch in the taxi. Yeah. And he gets the taxi guy to take him to a church. Now he's walking down the aisle of the church. And I don't know why, but I always notice the gentleman that goes to sit down. He's sort of gray haired, gray beard. And it just reminds me of Jerry Finneman. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. I haven't looked close enough to see who it might be, but I'll look again. Yeah. I doubt whether it's him. I don't think he would have done a cameo, but it just reminds me of him. And it would have been funny if they did use him to do that. I know. Yeah. In the life of Moonlighting, I don't think they ever really, um, one of the directors has a cameo in one of the episodes, but yeah, Glenn should have gotten in there. Or Jay should have gotten in there. Yeah. They should have done more cameos. That would have been fun. I would have liked that. Yeah. Now let me um, say something about the church. I was, you know, they do use some of these churches again and again. There are quite a few churches that they used in Moonlighting. I Actually, I'm not quite sure which church this is. I thought it might be the church they used in Lunar Eclipse, the very last episode, mm. but um, it's not. And then there's a church called St. John's that they used in Atomic and in All Creatures, Great and Not So Great, but this is not that church either. But all of the churches look a little bit similar. They have kind of high up on the wall, they have a beautiful stained glass circular window, but... I did a little research last night trying to find which church this is. And they all look kind of similar, 
but comparing the stained glass window, it's not one of those churches. So I'll have to do a little more research and try to find which church they did use for this one. But it's a beautiful old church, has some beautiful detailed character from the stained glass to the floor and the and the um, brick work on the walls. So yeah, I'd like to know which church they used for this one. But um, anyway. Yeah, that's interesting because they used quite a few, didn't they? Yeah, they used quite a few and they reused them again and again, and then film them from different angles. But when we get to other episodes, I'll talk more about that because I've visited a, a couple of those churches, of course. Hmm. I spent my time in Los Angeles well, visiting moonlighting locations. Hmm. Uh, continue on, he goes over to the confessional. And there's a very long line for the confessional, Grace. <laughs> but he's a very patient spy, isn't he? Yeah, I know. He just waits in line. And I guess there's only one priest that you can meet with. There were multiple confession booths but maybe only one priest on at a time. I don't know, because I was thinking like, when you get into the confessional, how can you be sure that you're talking to the right priest? Yeah, well, that's true too. How did he know that, you know, he was talking to him? So that was very interesting. Never thought of that. But Um, he finally does get in there. He he had to wait in line. Like He's a very patient agent and he waits to get into the confessional. And then he is basically saying that he's been found out and he needs to come in. And his nickname, I guess, uh, what, what would you call it, is Windjammer. Yeah, I love that name. It's a great name. And the priest is absolutely shocked when he hears it. He slides that window between him open in a flash once he hears his windjammer. Yeah, so he must be a really almost a 007 type spy, you know, a really important part of the organization. I don't know whether that was the reaction or because he's very shocked to see him in the States. Yes, but what kind of high powered agency is this that he's like I need help I need to come in it's like well uh, it can't just happen overnight you know there needs to be a process there needs to be time you know it's like well if someone's really in like major danger you can't help them now yeah that seemed a bit strange to me because yeah these organizations would have pretty swift reactions to things and sweepers and people that clean things up basically yeah you would think So the priest's name is James Walsh. He goes back to 71 and he's been in a lot of TV series. When I look at them, they're not TV series that I recognize except Moonlighting in 85, Murphy Brown in 1990. Oh, and he was actually a voice in the video game of Tomb Raider in 2013. (laughs) Oh, wow. Being a voice on a video game probably brings in some good money, I, I think. You know, he's talking to the priest about, look, I would need to come back in. You guys need to help me. And he's obviously saying that it's not going to happen that quickly. Um, he said, I'll, I'll get the agency to contact you. So oh, right. there's a seed, <laughs> the agency. The agency, that's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we need that word in there, don't we, the agency. Now, when we go back to Maddie and David, there is a line that is said a lot in the show, which is Maddie looking around and realizing this isn't the way back to the office. <laughs> Yeah, she says that a lot and because David always kind of agrees but then does what he wants anyway, of course. So he's taking her not back to the office but to the next location to uh, try again. Yes, and um, she again called Ekak by a different name. Yeah, Ikpu. Ikpu. Friends of Ikpu. (laughs) I put the subtitles on last night. You know, I like to watch it relaxed without having to look at all the details And seriously, the subtitles just cannot keep up with the dialogue. That's so funny. It's hilarious. So they just skip past part of it? 
Yeah, there's just sentences missing because sometimes I want to know what he or she says and because they're so fast, that particular sentence is missing and I'm like, oh, damn. (laughs) I hate that. They had one job to do, Shauna. One other thing, um, David, with his more of his analogies, his typical David analogies, Bic, Volkswagen, Sherman, and... (laughs) Yeah, I know he, him and his like constant, you know, comparing like, did they told Volkswagen you couldn't make a floating car. They told Mr. Bick it was impossible to shoot a pen through wood. They told Mr. Volkswagen it was impossible to build a car that floats. They told Mr. Charmin. That's funny. And, and then that line that I mentioned before, where he's like, for us, Maddie, I'm doing this for us and for the good of, you know, the good of the company. So, you know, he is always thinking of the bigger picture and the word pay dirt comes up a couple of times here, which is a, a word that you know comes up later in the series kind of used in a different way but yeah. they've said it twice i laughed my head off last night it was hilarious because i had to research a couple of things from the episode and when i realized what they meant i actually burst out laughing and scared the hell out of the dog um, oh really yeah <laughs> maddie says they sent you out to get money for paul bunyan oh yeah which i didn't know what that character was so i had to research it and it's yeah. a giant lumberjack and folk hero in American and Canadian folklore. Right. Yes. That is hilarious. So she's compared Larry to Paul Bunyan. Yeah. Paul Bunyan. Yeah. That makes total sense to me. Is it, yeah. Like a big lumberjack guy that carries an axe, flannel shirt. That's funny. Yeah. Good comparison. And I like uh, how he says, You may not know this, but there are people out there who think I am not a very good detective. Go figure. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Right. Yes, very, um, yeah, just lots of good car dialogue, you know, which is what we're here for. And, of course, he feels very lucky with this next guy. Yes, I feel lucky with this one, yeah. He goes, uh, just one more, and she goes, one more my way, one more any which way. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, she, he's gotten her to agree they're going to try one more time. Really good. Yeah, so Roy Hirsch finally gets in to see the priest. and. You know, how long was, has it been since your last confession? And he says 42 years, yet he's only 39 in the show. Just thought I'd mention that. I thought that too. I mean, even if he was in his 40s or something like that, the time frame didn't match up, did it? You're right. I mean, the show is, has already told us he's 39. So then again, it could have been a code. Yeah, that's true. From here, we go um, back to Hirsch in a cab, a very old style yellow cab. And the cab driver asks him um, if someone might be following him. That's a pretty cluey taxi driver. Oh, I know. Yeah. His name is Art Kustik. He's done several things. Um, looks like back to 1977. He was in Remington Steel. What a surprise. Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, The Rockford Files. He was a cab driver in Moonlighting. And then in 86, he was in Knott's Landing. He was in Valerie. Hill Street Blues, Webster, The Golden Girls, and he played a police captain in Dallas. And then the last thing we see for him was 2005. So that was Art Acoustic. But he's mainly known for La Bamba, uh, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, Remington Steel, and that's it. Very nice. He tips off Roy Hirsch that he's being followed. And as we know, Roy Hirsch has been trying to evade these people who are after him the entire time. So... He asked to be let out right then and there and hops out. I mean, if someone's following him, wouldn't they see him, you know, just get out of the car and 
And if they're, you know, if they're observant at all, right, they'd see him get out of the car and go down the alley. And they're near his house anyway, because he goes up the fire escape. Yeah. So <laughs> that's what I couldn't get. If the taxi's going to stop and they're only three cars back, they're going to see that he's getting out the car. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I really like the comedic style in this these subsequent scenes because they go backwards and forwards for to Maddie and David on the phone to Roy Hirsch yeah, yeah. trying to get to his apartment to climbing up the fire escape and yeah. um <laughs> are you sure you're using the thing properly it's not like it's brain surgery <laughs> I know I know and uh you know kind of alluding to like David like come on Maddie really he couldn't use a phone or you dial three numbers you know, so funny. That's so funny. And it goes backwards and forwards to Roy trying to get in. And, you know, so, of course, Roy gets into the apartment, sees the bow and arrow, takes it apart, and then Maddie has a go. And, of course, she gets through because he's there now. And, of course, he goes, are you from the agency? And she goes, yes, I'm from the agency. She says, I want to reason with you and appeal to your sense of fair play. Of course, he opens the door for them. He thinks that, you know, his guys are on their way up to talk to him. He goes to the bathroom to get the letter behind the mirror, but, of course, Arkady Nestevenchenko grabs him and asks him where it is and does things backwards, kills him first before he finds out where it is. Right. And one thing I noted is the bad guys are always dressed so nicely in the show. He's like in a three-piece suit or at least a double-breasted suit. Yeah, just like Simon. Yeah, they're very nice. Exactly. Always in a suit. But what I don't understand is why they call him the blonde man. The blonde man. At the start of the show with the credits, it says Michael Halsey as the blonde man. He's not blonde. Yeah, I don't know. I don't get it. Yeah, I don't don't get that either. Yes. So anyway, like you said, before getting any um, of the information that he actually needs, kills him. And um, I do love, yes, all of this back and forth with Maddie and David and her kind of always acting like she's a level-headed one. Leave it to me now, David. You mess the first one up. I'll show you how to do it right. They're always kind of going back and forth, like trying to like one-up each other. And uh, yeah, it's all very fun to watch. Yeah, it's hilarious. And he's, he won't open the door, so she starts getting nasty. And she, and it, <laughs> yes. And then and David, is, David says yeah. something and she goes, stuff it. <laughs> yeah, oh, stuff it. Yeah. And yeah, the things that uh, Maddie says here, I love this. I love this turn because she's trying to show David, just appeal to their sense of fair play, just appeal to them. Just people are fundamentally good. You know, she's like trying to be this level-headed, you know, David, if we just handle it this way, there's no need to get angry, you know, just appeal to them, right? And then she's getting more and more angry. And, you know, I just love how she starts out like, "Um, could you be a deer, you know, and open the door? And then she's like, haul your ashes over to the door. Where I have to get rough with you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Haul your ashes. I think that's a hilarious saying. That's a sentence that was omitted from the subtitles. Oh, uh, was it? Yeah. That's funny. And yes, she turns into, you know, angry Maddie, name calling and kicks the door. And then David is now the one that's annoyingly calm. And like, now Maddie, there's no reason to bully this man, you know. <laughs> Uh, so it's just it. so funny to watch them change characters. They trade places. Stop it. Come on, Hush. What do you say you haul your ashes over to the door and let us in before we have to come in there and get rough with you? Now, Maddie, there's no need to bully this man. Open this door. You parasite. You gold bricker. You, you. Low life. 
the fire escape never got so much use in any episode, right? Like Hirsch was out there. Now the blonde man, whatever, you know, he goes out on the fire escape as they come into the house and later it's used, you know, when Maddie and David go out there, it's just funny how, how often this fire escape is used in this, in this episode. That's very true. I didn't notice that. Yeah. Cause all three of them were out there. Yes. Yeah. Everyone uses it. Everyone uses that fire escape in the episode. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, you know, you have to put a little bit of reality aside here. Now they, you know, she kicks the door, whatever the door opens, they go in and, you know, Roy Hirsch is sitting there very stiff and, you know, Maddie's even trying to put his checkbook in his hand and things like that. Come on guys. The guy's not alive. You know, it's just funny to watch them kind of discover it all, I guess, but they don't sense that anything is odd or strange or like weird at this point. I just like the way Maddie says he doesn't look too well, you know, with, yeah. his, with a side, the side grin as she says, yeah. <laughs> like out of the side of her mouth. Yeah, it doesn't look yes, too well. It's great. Mm-hmm. Stick him with a pin. I will not. Yank out one of his nose hairs. <laughs> Addison, rip off all your clothes and see if he reacts. Yeah, exactly. And he says, "You're right. Bad idea. That would kill me." <laughs> I love it. I, know, I love that. And I like the way he segues to the commercial break. Yeah, I like that out. He's dead. He's dead. Boom. They cut to commercial. Yeah. (laughs) Really like fun way to like leave it um, as a mystery until after we come back from commercial. And so when we do return from commercial, uh, Maddie and David now have both gone out, I guess, to meet the cops that they've called because there's a dead body in the apartment. So I was kind of wondering why didn't one of them stay in the apartment? Yeah, because yeah. we wanted him to disappear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Plot-wise, we needed that to happen. All right, yeah, so let's not let's not dwell on it. Uh, they bring the cop into the apartment. The policeman they've called, this actor's name is Nick Angotti. He's been in a lot of things as well. Since Moonlighting, he was in he was in Days of Our Lives, many episodes, Santa Barbara. Ah, oh, exactly. this is why I put him on here. This is right. Okay. This actor was in Die Hard 2 as an engineer. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. So so that was in 1990. And since then he was in Jake and the Fat Man, Tales from the mm. Crypt, and Beverly Hills 90210, 1994. That was the last thing. So that's the policeman. Uh, okay. Yeah. Kind of a character actor, a face that you might recognize but not be able to pinpoint. That's what. right. Now, I like the dialogue here between... Maddie, so Maddie and the detective kind of have the main dialogue, but David keeps adding in little lines almost under his breath. You know, his voice is very low. No, I'm intrigued uh, after the body's disappeared. And um, he kind of adds in some very low and quick dialogue. Uh, Well, Maddie and the detective have the main dialogue. And they also do that thing where they say yes and no at the same time. Then David says, that's what I like, a consensus. He says, do you want to... um, search the apartment and uh maddie says yes and the and the cop says no at the same time and so again some overlapping fast dialogue that you have to pay attention to catch one thing i did write down which i can understand why but i was wondering why if that was the real roy hirsch why didn't they ask him for the money right even though maybe not just not a good time like yeah. okay well, yeah. they collect bills but there's a dead body or uh, yeah i don't know exactly and why not get some ID? And a policeman yeah. didn't worry because he thought, you know what, I don't have a warrant, so I've got no right to ask anything right now. And there's there's no evidence that there's been a scuffle, there's no body, there's no blood. 
all he knows is he showed up and there is no dead body, as they've said. And yeah, what, you know, I guess really what can he do? Yeah. And they were trying to explain that they sort of work for ECAC and they said, I thought you were private investigators. And she's saying, well, we actually do both. It's a bit complicated. And yeah. it's the slogan. If you got to go in debt, ECAC's your best bet. Oh my gosh, David. <laughs> so funny. I think I I go in debt. Yeah, that's so good. That's funny. That's a great line. They're having a discussion and the policeman says, I would like to see you two out in the hall. And yeah. did you notice that David brushed in front of Maddie? Yes. Like he didn't give way to her to go out. He just pushed in front of her and went out into the hallway. Yeah. She thought she was walking first and then he brushed in front of her and she kind of stopped and then followed him. Yeah. That was weird. Yeah. I wonder if that was planned or just the way they went out. I don't know, but I think Sybil did have to go after Bruce because you really see her like stomping out and down the hall. Mm. I don't know. Normally David would give Maddie the, the way to be a gentleman and let her go first. So yeah, I thought it was a weird exit. They stomp into the hall or they go into the hall with the cop and he's not happy with them at all and threatens their license. She starts getting a bit angry that yeah. doesn't believe them. She's like, wait a minute. She got really angry and yelled out, but the policeman had already gone into the, into the lift. And, of course, he grabs her, puts his hand over her mouth. And are you telling me he's got his hand over her mouth all the way down? I know. When they get outside and he's still got his hand over her mouth. I know, I know. And it almost looked like he was plugging her nose as well. Like he really like covered her entire mouth and nose, which as we know, you know, as Moonlighting fans, the first time, but not the last time that he covers her mouth, does it a few times in these episodes. Also, when they're walking down the hallway, she has her arm around his waist. And then when he like shoves her outside, she's holding onto his arm. So th- their position is a little bit different. Oh, okay. Not that it could have changed, you know, on the way down or whatever, because, you know, like we say, would have been doing that for quite a while since they had to take an elevator and all of that. Uh, how do you feel about him grabbing her by the mouth? That, you know what I mean? Like covering her mouth and like, is it just funny? Yeah, I just thought it was funny. And obviously he has realized that there's something going on. So yes. he's like, Maddie, shush, let's go outside yeah. and let's have a chat about it because as he explains yep. later, I really love how he says this too. Are the real Roy Hirsch is dead and this lieutenant is lying about who he is or he is Roy Hirsch and the cop potato you and I saw someone else entirely. Either way, something is rotten in Cleveland. Yep. Can you explain? I hear that saying a lot about something's rotten in Cleveland. Mm. Well, I think the original, I think it's something is rotten in Denmark and that comes from Hamlet um, as an English teacher. I do know that. So I think that they're just putting a, like, Glenn, again, probably putting a funny twist on it by putting in Cleveland as like a random reference, maybe. I've actually never heard rotten in Cleveland. Rotten in Denmark is normally the line, and that's from Hamlet. Okay. I don't know why they pick on Cleveland (laughs) all the time. You know, it's funny, but I know like uh, definitely the the original reference is a Shakespeare reference from Hamlet. Mm, Okay. So, of course, they're having another conversation in the car. There's a lot of conversations in the car in this episode. They must have been running behind time. Yeah, probably. And, again, he's so positive about everything. He sees things differently to her. He sees the opportunity. And how can you get mad at opportunity? And, of course, the usual question, who's the client? Who's the client? That's right. Yeah, I love how he talks about Alexander Graham Bell. You think Alexander Graham Bell sat back in his workshop and said, 
Why am I inventing the phone? No one else has one. Who am I going to call? Heck no. He went out there, did what he had to do, invented the telephone, dialed a number until people got good and sick of all that ringing. They went out and bought a phone so they could answer it. <laughs> I know. More of his references. So good. I know. This is uh, what I love about, of course, Moonlighting and Maddie and David, just watching them going around together, the talks in the car, them figuring it out together, you know, it, the clues kind of coming together, one of them figuring it out and getting the other one on the same page. It's just fun to think now they have to work at night together again and just watching them solve the case, I guess. You know, the case that has, again, fallen in their lap. Yeah, so he's got her out at nighttime again like he did in um, Read the Mind. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. And uh, he's in um, a sweater and a jacket, and she's in her pant suit outfit that she always wears at night. Oh, that's right. Yeah, she is too. Yeah, she always wears something like that at night. Like that's Maddie's casual look. And I think this is the, is this one of the first times? Because remember, we were saying in Next Stop Murder, he was wearing a full suit on a Saturday. But see, now here, he's wearing a more normal outfit for like an evening, you know? Yeah, that makes more sense. I mean, why he would wear a suit now, unless they came straight from work. So anyway, they're at uh, Roy Hirsch's security building and they're waiting for somebody to let them in. And she's like, nobody's going to let us in. And of course, the lady comes along and he's making out that Uncle Leon can't hear him because he's trying to get the hearing aid. (laughs) Yeah. I tell you what, David thinks quick on his feet, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. He's got, he says, play along with me. Yeah. And yep, he's got a little plan there. So the little thing that I noticed about this scene was when the lady lets them in the door, first of all, I noticed again that Sybil is walking different. So she's wearing her runners for sure. Yeah. The second thing is that when they walk in, they walk to the left. When Roy Hirsch first arrives back with his luggage, he turns right to go to the elevator. Uh, Okay. But, But when they walk in, they follow the lady to the left. So I don't know where they're going. And then I thought, oh, maybe they went into a stairwell, but they came at the same place that he did. Right. I don't know. It's just something I noticed. Yeah. Yeah. It's a goof. I like how Bruce acts to the lady like, oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Now Uncle Leon will be able to perform in the symphony tomorrow or whatever he says. (laughs) And he gives her a hug. And then, you know, the lady says like, oh, God bless you. And and then Maddie kind of rolls her eyes and is like, and heaven help us all. You know, like just... (laughs) You know, kind of rolling her eyes at his acting, you know, I mean, to the lady, really playing it up, you know, it's pretty funny. Does a really good job. Now, when they come out, come through the door from however they've come up, whether the elevator or the stairwell, don't you think that Bruce grabs Sybil so hard and like pulls her to the side? I guess what I'm saying is sometimes he just seems like he pulls her around so roughly, you know, and maybe that's just like comedy. But it's just, she's walking normally and he like grabs her by the side and like pulls her five feet. Yes. He could have just said, no, wait a minute. Let's go over here first. Yeah. yeah gently. Like, and I know it is part, it's comedy. You know what I mean? I'm not saying like anything like, oh, he should have been softer with her or something like that. It's just even later in the episode when he pulls her arm and pulls her down the stairs, you know, at the hotel later, it's just, he's always like kind of roughly pulling and pushing her around, yeah. which is probably just comedy. I'm not saying it's wrong. It's just, I think it's just some physical comedy they needed to put in there because it is funny it is funny and it's also funny how he quickly pulls her to the side and then they both it's obviously like very planned they both pop their heads out around the corner which i like that is definitely like a fun bit of comedy the hall is obviously empty but david's really got to play it up like oh we've got to make sure nobody's around and we've got to make sure nobody's home 
And why do they think nobody's home? Why are they going back there to make sure nobody's home? Or, you know what I mean? Like, I know they want to explore the apartment a little bit more, but, you know, when they were there earlier in the day, they saw two different men there. I guess they figure one of the guys doesn't live there and he's going to get out of there anyway. No one's going to be around. So they'll, they'll have a chance to check out the scene. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think David's probably thinking, well, Roy Hirsch is dead, who they thought was, was Roy Hirsch. And the person that imitated him, they're assuming he does not live there. Right. And he must have done something with the body. So he obviously doesn't live there. So yeah. they're hoping that nobody will be home. Yeah, yeah. And I like how he bashes the door to check to see if anybody's home. All of this is really funny. Yeah, all of this is just so obviously like taking the piss, you know, in a very humorous way, seeing if anyone's home. Well, how would you check? Pound on the door first. Okay, then he runs and hides behind Maddie. And then she starts walking to the door like, okay, no one's home. What? Wait, wait, wait. We got to check another way, you know, and then he's got this paper bag and shaving cream and he puts it under the door and he stomps on it, you know, and then he runs back again. It's like. So silly. Yeah, and I took close notice of that scene when he went back to her because they disappear sort of behind the corner and it's a different scene when they come back out. Oh, okay. Different cut. Right. There's a few New York references in the next couple of scenes. Yeah. You know, she goes, where did you learn to do that? Camp Kennybrook. So I looked that up. (laughs) Yeah. And it's a New York summer camp. Okay. Hmm. All right. East Coast, maybe maybe Glenn went there or just knew about it or one of the writers. Mm. Just maybe a famous summer camp or something, yeah. All right, so that's a real place. Okay, and then another kind of funny thing is when they actually get to the door finally, before it was Mr. Stickpin, now he needs a credit card. And she's searching through, and yeah, he's like, it doesn't have to be a gold card, just any old card, you know. Uh, it's funny. Honestly, and- this is one of my favorite scenes. Yeah. Not the top scene, but this is one of my favourite scenes, how, first of all, the old guy gets out of the elevator and would you be more comfortable going to a hotel? Now, he didn't need to say that. How does the guy know that's not their apartment? Yeah, I know. Like, what's the big deal? Oh, he's trying to embarrass Maddie. I just love this scene. And, you know, it doesn't have to be a gold card. It doesn't have to be a gold card. I just want to open a door and I take a trip to Aruba. (laughs) I know. Yeah, I know. It's great. Really funny lines. So funny. So funny. Thank you for listening to The Murders in the Mail Part 1. Stay tuned next week for Part 2. Well, until next time. I'm Grace. And I'm Shauna. Thank Thank you you for for listening listening to to Moonlighting Moonlighting the Podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.